Hello, and welcome to New Matter. My name is Mike Tarselli, and I'm the scientific director for SLAS. Joining me today, a wonderful guest, Dr. David Damon of BioCero. How are you, David? Uh, good, and not doctor. Uh, well, just, just David. Yeah. Everyone's doctor on this program, including you. All right. So, tell me all about what you do day to day, and if you can do it in 10 words or less, bully for you. I can do it in one, Zoom, uh, <laughs> these days. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's a crazy environment now, but no, I lead the, uh, the software development and um, automation robotic integration teams at BioCero. Okay, what does a robotic integration team do? Well, we take our customers' workflows and we translate them to robotic systems that allow instruments to be utilized, you know, increase your walkaway time, your throughput, having robots processing samples for you. Gotcha. And so you said you take a workflow and then you reduce it to practice with robots. How do you get the workflow in the first place? <laughs> Well, that's always a fascinating conversation of sort of drawing that out and, and figuring out what, um, what a scientist is doing on the bench and how that translates to robotics, right? There's a lot of really complicated things that a human being can do without thinking, right? Whether it's pipetting technique, whether it's, yeah, <laughs> touching your nose and rubbing your stomach and patting your head at the same time. So it translates as seamlessly to automation. Um, so, you know, we work with our customers to find even where automation really can provide key benefits, where you're better off doing it manually, but also providing that ability to track the data, even if it's a manual operation. So again, it's, it's, it's really consulting with them on their workflows and figuring out ways that we can you know, improve their processes. So is it required if something's manual and you're asking the scientist and they say, well, we always inject it this way or walk the sample over here or whatever, is it required that you perfectly simulate that manual intervention or is it usually optimal that you take that completely out and say, well, the best practice here is this robot, which will skip these five manual steps? Yeah, that's always the question. You know, how much of what you're doing is, is about how you do it versus you know, purely the the reagents and the reactions that are going on, right? There's there's temperature fluctuations, humidity changes in the environment, even, you know, the movements of a plate, you know, the speed, the force, what happens when you pick things up and set things down. Those are all, you know, factors. Sometimes those factors are irrelevant, you know, to some experiments, but and there's a huge problem of reproducibility, obviously. And it's hard to know whether that's because of those sort of usually, you know, uncaptured factors or otherwise. So I think what's really important is to understand that the transition to automation is not as simple as just programming a robot to do something, right? It's really understanding your assay and the effects that the way that you do it have on there. And so it takes, you know, like all things, a lot of, you know, a lot of work and a lot of validation to, that you're getting the right results. So I'm curious because that seems to parlay itself nicely into sort of a design of experiments context. You know, like what variables matter? Do you go that far with your clients or is that something that's sort of already integrated into all your workflows? Can you describe that? Yeah, it's really on a case-by-case basis, right? You know, sometimes, you know, sometimes someone has already, you know, customers already gone through that problem of, of going, okay, you know, what, what are the various factors? Other times we'll work with them on a step-by-step basis, you know, in their labs, you know, assessing what they're doing. We'll watch their process, help to translate that. And then, you know, we'll run, you know, experiments on that to determine whether or not, you know, it translates well to automation. Got it. And then tell me a little bit about designing the software. Are you controlling the robot actuator at a source level? Are you saying, okay, arm go left five millimeters? Or are you controlling more of a meta level a little higher that does more of a full operations? Yeah, so we we try to make it as easy as possible for our customers. So our green button go software allows you really easily to 
put the robot in free mode, move it to where you want to say, you know, this is the nest location for my sealer. This is addition one on my liquid handler. We try to abstract all the complexities of actually teaching a robot out to a really simple operation for the, for the scientists to be able to really rapidly train their system and run it. Behind the scenes, you know, we do a lot of work. We have new, you know, imaging systems that will allow you to just roll up carts and, and the robot will find the nest position based on the camera. So we, we do everything we can to really simplify the operation so that really that, you know, our customers need to be just concerned about what their process is and we'll take care of the rest. Got it. And tell me a little bit about some of these robotics terms in case our listeners are not familiar with them. What is a nest position and how does a robot see, smell, hear? <laughs> yeah, usually a robot doesn't do any of those. But um, yeah, so when we're working in the lab and we need to pick up a, a plate and place it you know, into a location and pipette from it, using our eyes and our hands, we do that seamlessly without thinking, right? But in order for a robot to know, okay, if I have, say, a, an automated pipette or you know, a Tcan or a Hamilton or a Beckman, right? The robot that's going to be placing that plate onto that nest position, that that Alps or the uh, location where it's going to be pipetted from, that has to be named. And then you have to associate the coordinates in 3D space with where that is. So the way that that works on a practical level, though, in, in Green Button Go is you simply, you have the robot, you put a put a plate in the grippers and you just move, you move it over there and then you click on a button and say, okay, this is position one. And so it's, it's, you know, it's a real simple thing to do behind the scenes. We're capturing, you know, the X, Y, Z, ah, pitch roll of everything and, and recording that. But we hide that complexity from the user and allow, you know, allow the user to, to focus on the science. So I know somewhere in all of our podcasts, we always get somehow into Star Trek or Star Wars. So I'll ask you, which is your favorite? Have to be Star Wars. Okay. How come people never really consider 3D space? I wonder, because even scientists, right, in the lab, you think very much in terms of X, Y. This is over here, this is over here. Mm -hmm. But a robot does have to think in that third dimension of up, down, yeah. you know, down and to the right, up and to the left. Um, do you find that there are advantages that scientists should be taking of using the full volume of their space in lab as opposed to just this X, Y coordinates? Absolutely. And there's, there's so much that can be gained going vertical. Again, lab space is incredibly expensive difficult to come by. And so, you know, you really need to think about, you know, maximizing your space, right? And robots allow that, right? A robot doesn't mind reaching up to put something up higher, you know, than it might be ergonomic for a human to reach. And so there's a lot of considerations in that though, right? You know, it needs to be accessible for service and for you know, everything, but we can really go a lot lower and a lot higher in the lab. You know, you have three instruments stacked on top of each other, all accessible by a robot and really maximize that space. So we work really closely with our customers, looking at the constraints that they have, you know, what we can fit within their budget to really you know, expand and go vertical in their automation. That's really cool. And go vertical sounds like a cool tag phrase, like green button go. So tell me about how one chooses a career as a CTO at an instrument vendor and robotics automation lab. What do you do to get to where you are? Well, I, I started 10 years ago. Tom Gilman, our CEO, had a vision we were mostly selling and distributing equipment into labs, but a vision for writing a piece of software that would simplify the automation of that. All our customers, as we were selling them sealers and liquid handlers, and stuff, they wanted to be able to tie those together. So um, he brought me on for the purpose of developing you know, what became Green Button Go. And so through that time, you know, we developed that software further and further and in conjunction with all of our customers, really bringing their ideas into the software, I think, faster than anyone else has managed and built up an ecosystem that 
really allows us to address you know some of these really complicated automation problems in a really simple way. So yeah, it's it's been a it's just a, been a matter of growing with the company. The company started in 2003. I joined in 2010, and we've just continued to expand, moving to you know a lot of our focus now is on data management, right? Mm-hmm. Capturing and contextualizing all of the data that's happening, you know, in your experiments, pushing those to either local storage or to the cloud, um, really to enable advanced analytics. So you know, it's been a fantastic career trajectory that I've gotten on a lot different than I'd expected. I, Used to do uh, consulting and software for data analysis for main warfare projects for the Air Force. Oh, um, we're gonna have to touch on that electronic warfare. <laughs> Tell me more. Ra- radar jammers and, uh, oh, and that's the really cool. So, <laughs> how does jamming you know, radar prepare you for a green button go? Got to know. <laughs> a lot of uh, a lot of simulation and a lot of uh, yeah, interesting things. It was you know there were projects that he did as well. You know, in that time for um, automated test equipment. You know, that brought a lot into. This idea of how do you automate, you know, a complex workflow with different, uh, you know, parallel things going on that really helped inform my development of Green Button Go, as well as especially the the maintenance data analysis and visualization projects. So, do you have a CS area. background? Are you a programmer? <laughs> background, yes. Uh, not a formal. Uh, I, I kind of short circuited my uh, college career to uh, start a business developing guitar effects pedals. So guitar effects to radar jammer to lab automation. That's fascinating. Something like that. Yeah. It's a, you know, the amazing thing about the life sciences is that it's such an amazing intersection of, of hardware, software, and science, right? The three big ones for me. And so being able to work in an environment where not only am I, you know, challenged, you know, in, in sort of every direction, but also, you know, having a huge impact on the world, you know, being able to build systems that are discovering, you know, cures for, uh, for people and, especially in this environment. And we've been focused so fully on COVID, um, whether it's in discovery or testing. You know, everybody has a different experience during the pandemic, but ours has been just um, go, go. incredibly busy. Yeah, exactly. Fate of the world and all that, you know. Well, I mean, so. as we're recording, it's August 2020. And, and right, we still have not yet found a frontline therapy or a vaccine. So I'm sure you are integral to that. It's been a wild, a wild few months. For yeah. certain. Um, uh, tell me more. Tell me about what you think Biosero's model or your career will shift to based on this sort of new approach of the world's in lockdown and a viral pandemic is affecting our lives. Yeah. So I think one of the most interesting things about it is the massive impact that it's had on our supply chain and how creative companies have had to be just getting the equipment they need. And so our Green Button Go software is instrument agnostic. We'll work with any piece of equipment and can really rapidly repurpose existing systems. So we had, you know, a competitor system that had been mothballed five years ago at a research institute that we were able to get up and running within a couple of days, you know, brand new workflows, you know, in order to help support their efforts, you know, finding a therapy for COVID. And, you know, it's those types of things, being able to look around your lab and repurpose existing equipment when people are backordered for months or even years, you know, on the traditional liquid handling, you know, platforms that would be used. Even just networking different companies together to find, you know, when labware and reagents are in really high demand and very short supply, being able to look at creative approaches to using different types of labware than you might traditionally use or, um, you know, finding alternate sources, you know, bringing some of the, you know, the suppliers in the, you know, mainly supply the research field into diagnostics, for instance. So it's been amazing to watch even as really the whole world has come together and, Scientists from all around the globe are working, you know, towards the same same goal, 
we have not yet fought this down. <laughs> we have no, a long way to go. Yeah. Still a long way to go and a lot of problems to still solve. So tell me, maybe it's this, maybe it's this response right now, maybe it's the repurposing of equipment, maybe it's the software integration complex, but what's your most exciting professional development to date? What's the best thing that's happened to you? Yeah, that's a tough one. There's a lot of them. I mean, in the end, it's hearing about the impact that we have. You know, when there's systems that we we find out, oh yes, they discovered this, or you know, something you know, like in the personalized medicine space, when there's systems that you know that have led directly to someone being in you know complete remission, you know, from a terminal illness. It's uh, that's always you know an incredibly um, encouraging and uplifting to the team to hear you know those those stories, and then just being involved in some of the most cutting edge projects, whether it's the largest uh, discovery platforms ever built to some of the new advances in, in the automation of chemistry to you know, some experimentation, the, man, we're, we're going to it. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, fast. there's, it, it's, there's amazing, amazing steps being made, uh, you know, by a lot of people. And so just being involved in those, right. That community of people coming together to solve really difficult problems and then, you know, overcoming those hurdles and get the system running. There's really, really nothing like that, you know, watching that system process, Plates Starting her up. Vroom, vroom. <laughs> exactly. That's really great. That's... So tell me, what, what do you have as tips for um, young roboticists, young engineers, first program kids, uh, people who build with Lego kits, or people who are in grad school right now taking apart an HPLC and saying, what am I doing this for? What should they be doing to get involved at a level that you are now where you're feeling the literal ethical impact of what you do? Yeah, no, this, um, it's a great career you know, in this industry. It's, I think it's really important to not lock yourself down to any particular technology or way of thinking, right? Like there are so many, you know, so many of the advancements that we see are when we apply technologies and ideas from other, other sectors to this. And so, you know, thinking in terms of not being satisfied with the current way of doing things, but then also looking at and expanding your horizons, right? You need to learn how to learn, you know, more than you need to, you know, master one particular technology because things are going to shift, right? Everything especially on the research side, everything is, is changing and evolving so rapidly. And as technology advances ever faster, you know, the best solution to a problem is probably one that is even not, not even known yet, right? And so, True. so keeping that sort of expansive view of, you know, there's, there's always going to be a better way to do it and, uh, you know, keep it open to that. And again, you know, the more that you can expand your horizons to, to understand, you know, the, the hardware, the mechanics of it, as well as the software and the science. You don't have to master all three of those, but being able to, to understand what's going on and to be, you know, yeah. exactly. And that, that opens it up to work with people at a higher level, right? You know, rather than just focusing on one aspect of the problem, you can help solve the bigger problems. So I'm going to borrow a question from uh, the Marketplace host, Kai Rizdahl. And I'm going to say, what keeps you up at night? Like when you look over your shoulder, what's coming for uh, BioCero and what technologies do you have to fend off? Yeah, there's, it's really fulfilling accurately in the best possible way, sort of the promises of the cloud. That's, I think, the one thing, right? Is that you have, and, and this is the cloud, it's, it's AI, it's machine learning, everything is that there's a lot of hype, but that hype and that marketing level is often developed at a level that is too simplistic yeah. and not actually, you know, sort of cognizant of the, some of the fundamental problems on the ground. We're and at the top so, of that hype curve right now. <laughs> exactly. Oh, so, yeah. so, in, so with data, right, it's, it's the hard work of capturing and contextualizing everything that happens in the lab that needs to be done before your you know, machine learning algorithms are going to be successful 
in actually drawing true, you know, value out of that data. And so, you know, that's really, you know, that's sort of just one aspect of that. But, but the vision for the future right now, and we're on the cusp of some amazing things, right? But there's a lot of hard work that has to be done to make that possible. And that's really the focus, uh, you know, that I'm, that I'm focused on right now is bridging those gaps. A follow up to that. And it's a little bit more thought experimenty. So stay with me here. If you had 10 million bucks and unlimited time and you could construct the one widget or device that would solve a major problem for your current operations, what would that widget or box be? <laughs> That's a tough one. Um, it would be software, first of all. Of course. Um, sure. The, the, <laughs> it, it, yeah. And, and that's because software is infinitely and quickly malleable, right? It is. Hardware is hard. You know, and, and so the more that can be done in silico, the better, right? As far as speed to solution. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you, you can look at large scale things like, you know, solving problems with water globally. But I think, you know, if in this industry, you know, I mean, I, I think it would, it would have to be in the, in the sequencing area. And it would have to be, you know, something related to diagnostics. Gotcha. I know but, that's fair. Fair answer. I, I did prompt that one on you. No worries. Um, yeah, that uh, I'll, I'll have to give that some thought. <laughs> no problem. You can always write back in, and people can ask you uh, about it after this podcast. Who in the SLS community most excites you to collaborate with, to work with, to hear from? You know, it's a combination of uh, it's the scientists and the, the amazing projects that they're proposing, and it's the vendors too, right? You know, being able to partner with with key you know companies that have that have core technologies that can help put together that puzzle that solves the problem. If you look at you know the the target is 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 the cure, right? Name your name your disease, name your your problem, right? And we provide a lot of pieces of that puzzle. And finding those partners that can fill in those missing pieces and working together with them on a solution, you know, to to target a particular problem is that's what excites me about SLAS and you know being able to walk the floor you know, at the trade shows or, you know, engaged in the conversations and presentations, you know, to, to be a part of that dynamic community that's really looking to, you know, everybody's aimed at, at solving really the world's most important problems. Global problems. Um, that's right. So. Oh, thank you. That's high praise and we appreciate it. I have two more things for you. One's a statement and one's a question. First, a statement. Did you know that you actually hold one of the largest attendance records at a talk in SLAS history? Over 400 people came to your talk in 2020. So there you go. I heard that. I was, uh, I was shocked um, and, and I feel humbled by that. So thanks <laughs> to everyone it. who attended. Good record to have. Yeah. And the other question is, you said that you did guitar pedals. So are you a Strat, Les Paul, bass guy? What are you? A Les Paul. A Les Paul. Excellent. Yeah. Rhythm guitar or lead? Rhythm, rhythm. I'm not. I'm not talented enough uh, to really. And it's been. It's been a long time since I've since I've really played. I've been trying to get my kids into it. Um, <laughs> That's but, fair. Uh, yeah. Cool. Anything else you want to share with the community, or want to ask of the community, so they can connect with you afterwards? No, I. I think I really appreciate uh, being invited here, and, the, and thanks to everyone who's listening. And um, yeah, I want to. It's a. Uh, it's challenging times. Everybody, you know. I want to, you know, thank everybody who's so dedicated to. Uh, to solving the COVID problem. And um, if you ever need any, any help with automation or software, please reach out to Biocero. We're, uh, we're always, always looking to make a difference. Perfect. We'll call you up. And with that, uh, CTO, Dr. David Demon of Biocero. <laughs> Again, not doctor, but still, we love it. Thank you. Thank you. 